If you would pray with me, and then we're going to look at that passage together, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in this place, in your name, uh, for your glory. We pray that as we spend time in your word, uh, that you would be glorified, that we would see clearly who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that we would be overwhelmed with your goodness, that we would see you very clearly. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word, that you've shown us what you're like and who you are and the ways that you're moving and working. We pray this morning as we think about the ways in which you pursue us, the ways in which you call us uh, to yourself, uh, the ways in which you provide avenues for restoration, that we would see all of these things afresh today, that we would see our identity and how it is found in you. And so we ask that as we spend time in your word, but you would be the one who leads us and guides us and teaches us. We confess that as we open your word that we cannot do any of this without you. And so we ask that you would be the one that teaches us this morning, that shows us who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I want to ask a question. I want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever been caught uh, red-handed in your life? Now, you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, maybe it's in word. Maybe it's in deed. I mean, I hear some people laughing. Like some of it may be kind of funny, like you kind of blew it or whatever. But you know what I mean when you say red-handed. Like something happens. It's apparent you blew it. And there's no escaping it, Right? Like you get caught in the act and there's no, there's no shading it and like, well, it wasn't really, like you know. Like you know that's absolutely the case. There's no denying it. You're caught in the act. You know it's something you shouldn't have been doing and you've been found out and you're wrong. And I think just from the laughter, like you go, oh yeah, I could probably think of a few. If you really stop and think of it for a minute, maybe it's embarrassing, maybe it's just something a little more trivial. But I think if we really stopped and thought about it for a minute and we were really honest with ourselves, there's probably some times where we've really blown it. We got caught in the middle of something or doing something we shouldn't have or, or whatever the, the episode may have been where you really knew you blew it and it was embarrassing. Uh, m- maybe there's times in your life where that's happened and it's not only embarrassing, but as you stop to think about it, you don't even want to go there. Because of what it was or what happened and it was so embarrassing or it was so whatever the thing was that you don't even want to think about it because it brings shame and guilt. And you get overwhelmed and you go, I don't even want to, I don't even want to go there. You know it so clearly. But I want you to think about that for just a moment, right? If you think of a time that probably something that comes to mind to give yourself to that for just a second, what that was like, what those feelings were like how you were processing that, what that looked like. And I want you to think about it for just a second, and I want you to feel it for just a moment, because I really think it helps us to see the fullness of what's happening in our text that we see this morning that we're going to look at. Uh, If you've been with us, we've been walking through the Gospels in chronological order, and now we're to the very end. Actually, next week will be the last, uh, our last in this series, as we've been walking through this. Two years, we've, we've gone through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell of Jesus' life and what Jesus has done and said and where he goes and uh, the people that are with him and those that are following him and all that that looks like. And as we've gone through, we've seen Jesus has a lot of followers, a lot of people that are coming after him and the things that he's doing. Uh, But one of the things that we've pointed out over the last two years is not only did he have a great number of followers or disciples, he also had the 12 
these 12 that he chose that came out that he kind of uh, spent a lot of time pouring into. But then even out of the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. And we've seen in the gospels at different times where he'll go to Peter, James, and John and he'll say, come with me, right? The, the transfiguration. Uh, there, there's a time when he goes in and heals a young girl that's dead. And he sends everybody out except for her parents and he brings Peter, James, and John in with him. Or a few weeks ago, not that long ago, we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is praying. He's wrestling with the Father over about going to the cross and it's just, it's imminent, it's about to happen. And he takes the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he tells them to pray, but then he says, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. And he asks them to pray with him. And we see this over and over. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons when we talk about growing in obedience to Jesus, discipleship, following him more fully, we say going deeper with fewer. Because that's the model that Jesus gives us in the way he makes disciples. And so we see that all the way through in the gospels with these people. But as we look at them, we see a lot with Peter, James, and John. And Peter in particular in the gospels. As they're kind of in that inner circle and they're with Jesus. And as you look at them, you know, Peter always kind of jumps out. I was thinking of impetuous Peter, right? If there's ever anybody that sticks their foot in their mouth, that that, uh, acts before they they think that speaks before they hear that's peter he's he's that guy he's quick to speak he jumps out right we just saw in the passage we read it's the lord and he jumps out of the boat he jumps in the water to get to him that's peter that's who he is right we've seen that all the way through the gospels and as we've watched and as we kept thinking we've seen him in all these different ways And so when we're thinking about uh, what's happening in this episode, I want us just to think about uh, what came before this, right? Jesus has spent a lot of times with these disciples and with Peter in particular. And when I asked you a second ago about thinking of a time that you've blown it, there's probably something that comes to mind. You're not alone. You're a lot like Peter. Peter, as we see through the gospels, blows it quite a bit. And in fact, whatever you can think of and whatever you're conjuring up and the things that you're feeling, Peter can probably one-up you. Uh, he blew it in a lot of ways that we see throughout the Gospels. And so this morning, we're going to see Jesus go to Peter. It's kind of restoration of Peter and the way he's going to approach him. And I think we can learn a lot about the way Jesus deals with our failures, how he deals with us when we blow it, just by seeing with the way he deals with Peter here. And so I want us to look at that together this morning as we think about it. And the way I want us to go at this passage is first, I just want us to kind of do the, uh, uh, like when you're watching a show, the previously on, right? What happened in past episodes? We spent two years going through the gospels. There's a few things, strands that Jesus is going to kind of pull together with Peter in particular that we need to go back and just be reminded of that have just happened, okay? Because there's a lot of things, there's a lot of background to what's going to happen here with Peter. So first we're going to consider the previously on. Then we're going to look at how Jesus deals with our failure and Peter's failure by watching what he does here. And then lastly, how do we live in light of what Jesus does here? And so let's start with just the previously on. Let's go back for a moment. John chapter 21, where we are, John chapter 20 ends with an episode with Jesus coming to the disciples. And it tells us in John chapter 20 that it's eight days after the resurrection and he meets with them. And Thomas is there and he wasn't there before. And it's the scene with Thomas and feel my hands. And it says that was eight days after. And then this episode that we're looking at in chapter 21 says that this happened after that. 
Acts tells us that Jesus came and appeared to his disciples at many different times in 40 days from his resurrection until his ascension. And so this episode takes some place in there between after day eight and before day 40, somewhere in there, Jesus comes and this is when this happens, just so we're caught up where we are. And so let's just call it maybe two weeks after the resurrection. We don't know that exactly, but round number, we'll say a couple weeks after. And I want us to think about what the disciples have gone through in these last two weeks. Right? Think about everything that we've looked at over the last few months. We spent a lot of time in the upper room discourse and the farewell discourse. Those, those teachings of Jesus hours before he's crucified. Where he spends a lot of times with the disciples and he's talking to them and he's teaching them and he's, he's preparing them for about what's to come and all that goes with that. But then think about as they got up and they came out of that, that, that meal with Jesus and as they're walking and they're spending time with him, what they saw happen. Shortly after that, they go into the garden. Jesus is praying. Then he's, uh, betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. Within hours, his sham of a trial is over. He's tortured. And then he's killed. And all of that happens in a whirlwind of a few hours. And then they go through three days of Jesus is dead. Everything we thought we knew is gone, like obliterated, blown apart. And then Jesus raises and comes to them and meets with them at different times. And so I want you just to think about the roller coaster of emotions that they've just gone through, right? Everything that they've experienced and what's happening and what they've been looking at and here it all is coming together. And I want you just to kind of put yourself in their shoes for just a minute. But then I want us to go back for just a second in those. And I want you to try to think about what they're dealing with, right? Emotionally, uh, I had a professor who used to say, when you read the Bible, try to walk in their sandals. Try to think about what it would be like to be there. And so I want you to think about Peter and James and John and these guys that were with Jesus for three years and what that felt like and what was happening here. And so if we go back to John chapter 13, which is that upper room discourse where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, that meal that they share together just hours before the crucifixion. And in that meal in John chapter 13, uh, he's telling them, I'm going away and you're not going to be able to go where I'm going. And Peter, as always, speaks up quickly, doesn't really hear what Jesus is saying. And he jumps in and he goes, well, why not? Why can't we go with you? I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you to prison. I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter. And you know what he says? He says, before the day's over, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then right after that, they finish the meal. They go out. They start to make their way down across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking, Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says this in Matthew 26. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter, Peter again, first to speak, answers him. Though they all fall away because of you, I will not. Right? He even says, yeah, these guys might. You could see them doing it, but I won't. And that's what he says. He jumps out, not me, Jesus, not happening. And Jesus says, truly this very night before the rooster crows, you will die me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, that night, what happens? 
They go out into the garden. They all fall asleep as Jesus asks them to pray. He says, get up, we must be going. Judas shows up, Jesus is betrayed, he gets taken off. But what the Gospels tell us is the disciples, at least Peter anyway, we have this in the Gospels, is he follows Jesus from afar. He's kind of following along, watching what's happening. And it tells us that he follows Jesus into the courtyard of where the high priest is. And the story goes that as Peter follows him from a distance, he's warming himself by a fire. And a young girl goes, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? You were with Jesus. And Peter goes, no, 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 not me. He got me confused with somebody else. And it tells us he gets up and he kind of moves away from her because she's creating a scene and he doesn't want to have any part of this. And he walks over here and then somebody else goes, yeah, 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 you're with Jesus. You're that guy. And Peter goes, not me. And he turns around and he tries to get away from them. And then somebody else stops and goes, yes, you're a Galilean. You're from Galilee. I know you're with Jesus. You're one of those guys and you've been with them. And he starts to call them out. And you know what it says in Luke chapter 22? As that's happening, it says Peter begins to swear and to curse and to yell, I don't know the man you're talking about. And then it says, as soon as he says this, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept. He was caught red-handed, right? I will never leave you, Jesus. Not me. They might. I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. I will do anything for you. And then there he is swearing and cursing. I don't know him. And Jesus turns and looks at him. And that mo- there's no denying. There's no like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't actually say that, Jesus. There's no uncertainty here. He said it multiple times. He's yelling it out. He's making a commotion. Jesus looks right at him. And so the last time that Peter sees Jesus before he dies, before he's crucified, is this. He's yelling, I don't know the man. And so I want you just to think about that for just a second. There's no sidestepping that. There's no denying he did that. He knows it. Jesus knows it. There's no uncertainty about what happened. He was there. Jesus was there. He saw it happen. He turned and looks at him. And so our text this morning, that's important background of what's happening. This is the third time that Jesus comes to the disciples. We've got a few different uh, episodes that we've seen as Jesus has come to them. He's been meeting them in groups. There is a time, it says, on the first day uh, of the resurrection that Jesus meets with Peter, but the Bible doesn't tell us anything about what happens. It just says that Peter saw the Lord, and that's it. It says it in passing. That's all we know. But this is the first time that we have recorded that Jesus has any conversation of length with Peter after this happened. And so I want you to look at what happens here. Just set the scene real quick as we get to John chapter 19. Uh, Peter's hanging out with some of the disciples. They're all together. Verse 3, he says, I'm going fishing. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And so they get up and they go out to go fishing. Uh, rewind three years previously on way back. What does Peter do before Jesus calls him to come and follow him? 
He's a fisherman. That's that's the way he makes his living. That's what he does. Here they are sitting around, kind of bewildered. Even though they've seen the risen Jesus, even they're coming to grips with what's happening, they're not exactly sure how to go forward. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. And so they go out and they're fishing. Verse 4 says, just as the day was breaking, Jesus, actually go back to verse 3. It says, they went out and they got into the boat that night and they caught nothing. That's the end of verse 3. Verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, by the way, who's writing, which I love that he always says that, that disciple that Jesus really loved, (laughs) therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And then Peter grabs his clothes, jumps in the water, goes to see him. But I want you to think about that scene for just a second and what's happening here. Uh, If it's familiar, it should be. Uh, If you go back to the call of Peter, when Jesus calls Peter to come and follow him, uh, you can read it in Luke 5. But Jesus is there teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds are pressing in. And so he turns to Peter and says, I'm going to use your boat. And he gets in his boat, and he tells him to push away a little so he can have some distance to the crowd, and they can hear him. And he's in Peter's boat, and they finish, and they get done, and he gets done with his teaching. And he turns to Peter, and he says, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter goes... We we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. But since you told me, I'll do it. And he does. And it's the same scene that you see in Luke 5 that you see here. Suddenly they have an abundance of fish that they can't even handle, right? And if you remember in that story, what does Peter do? He sees all this and he says, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. He's overwhelmed with who Jesus is in that moment. Right, And so you see a similar story unfolding here, which I think leads John to go, it's Jesus. <laughs> Who else tells you to move your nets to the other side and suddenly you catch all these fish? And he goes, it's the Lord. And so Peter runs in and he comes in and they get there. And as the, the story unfolds, look at what happens here, what Jesus is doing. So verse nine, when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and the fish laid on laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples asked him, who are you? Because they knew it was Jesus. And so they come ashore and Jesus is waiting for them. And he's built a fire and he's prepared breakfast. And he says, come have breakfast with me. And so there he is waiting on them. And I want you to think about it. I don't think Jesus does anything that's not deliberate. Nothing slips past the creator of the universe on the way things are ordered here. But he makes a charcoal fire. And he's there sitting by it. And he invites them in to breakfast. Right? Before Jesus is crucified, when's the last time that he sees Peter? He's denying him by a charcoal fire as he's warming himself and they lock eyes as he's saying, I don't know the man. And here Jesus arranges this by this fire and he has breakfast ready for him. And I think he's deliberately set it up this way. But then look at what happens. They eat this meal, but then he turns 
his attention to Peter. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so I want you to think about what he's doing here. Why does he ask him three times? It's pretty obvious, I think. Peter denied him three times. Jesus asked him three times. Even if you look closely at the language that Jesus uses, the first time he says to him, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Right? Remember what Peter said. They may desert you, but I won't. Right? They may deny you, but I will go to death for you. And so he says to him, do you love me more than these? And you go, well, what's happening here? What's Jesus doing? He's addressing the elephant in the room and he's doing so lovingly. Even in the questions he's asking and the way he's asking, he's bringing to light Peter's sin. He's bringing to light that Peter's a liar. And that Peter bugged out the second things got hard and all Peter's talk, it all fell apart. And Jesus is lovingly bringing those things up and you go, well, what is he doing here? He's holding Peter accountable. He's speaking the truth to him, even though it's really hard. I don't know about you. I'm speaking for myself here. We all have different personalities and we're different in the room. I am not uh, by nature a confrontational person. That's not, that's not the, my natural bent. And I read this, and I'll tell you, it's kind of painful to watch almost. Right? That he asks him, and then he asks him again, and then he asks him a third time. Jesus is addressing his sin, and he's lovingly holding him accountable. That's what he's doing here. Peter knows. Jesus knows. They both know. But he doesn't let it just float there. He speaks directly to him. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these, Peter? And I can't help but think what Jesus is doing here is exactly what God's word tells us to do in 1 John chapter 1. Right? The disciple who Jesus loved, who wrote 1 John, who was there watching this. Do you know what it says in 1 John chapter 5? Or or, or verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is leading Peter into the light. He's like, I'm not going to let you live in the darkness. And I want you to understand when Jesus does that, 
And when he calls us to do that in those ways, he does that because he loves us. And he knows what's best for us. And I'm not going to let you hide in those things. I'm going to call that out into the light where it can be seen and where forgiveness and repentance can take place. And so he calls Peter into the light and he's bringing him out of his guilt and his shame into Jesus's marvelous light. I can't help of thinking the way Peter writes in first Peter chapter two. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It's exactly what Jesus is doing to Peter. I'm not leaving you there. Peter goes on to say, once we are not a people, but now we are God's people. And you have, you had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus brings him out into the light. But I want you to notice how he does it. He doesn't bring up the action. He doesn't say to Peter. Now, Peter, you told me you would never deny me. And yet you denied me three times. Are you going to deny me again? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Peter, you made this great big confession Of how you'll go to the ends of the earth for me. But you're a liar. Are you going to quit lying? He doesn't do that. So what does he do? Jesus goes to the sin underneath the sin. And he says, Peter, do you love me? See, all sin goes to the heart. The root of sin is that we've chosen not to trust God. And that's directly tied to our love for him. And when we decide, I know better, right, the the connection there at the bottom of that. And so Jesus doesn't go to the to the issue. He goes to the sin underneath and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him. Peter, do you love me? And he agrees. He says, yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter never says, I'm so, so sorry about that thing I did. I I didn't mean it. You don't understand the situation. He doesn't shift the blame. He doesn't look away. He doesn't say, yeah, yeah, I did that. But in this situation, he sits right there with Jesus. And every time he asks him, he says, I love you. Peter, do you love me? The third time it tells us even his heart in that in verse 17 says he asked him a third time and Peter was grieved. It's what repentance looks like. That you're grieving over your sin. Right? Because all sin goes against God. Sin is rebelling against God. Right? We, We may hurt other people with our sin, but ultimately at the bottom of our sin is we're ignoring what God's told us. And we're not truly operating in love towards him. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. And he doesn't look away. And he takes responsibility. 
And there's repentance there as Peter is seeing as Jesus is calling him to and he's bringing him into the light. But then notice what Jesus does. Then he says, then feed my sheep. Think about what he's saying. Then go lead my people, Peter. Go point others to who I am and what I've done. Go show them who I am. And he restores Peter. You know, this story starts with Peter going, I'm going fishing. And I can't help if Peter wasn't thinking like, I guess I'm going to be a fisherman again. I really blew it with that whole denying them thing. And I ran away and I'm a mess. I guess I'll just go back to being a fisherman, which there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But Jesus had called them out of that and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to use you in my church in this way. And here Jesus restores him and he says, feed my sheep. And so what happened here? How is Peter now ready to go and to feed the sheep? What is God doing? I want you to think about how Peter's identity changes. What's happened to Peter? How do we live in light of what Jesus is doing here? Kind of the the, the other side of the coin of all of this. Peter's identity has changed. You, know, you go back to that first call of Peter and he sees Jesus and he tells him to, to let down the nets and all these fish and he drops to his knees and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What happens the second time when Jesus says, move your nets to the other side and they do and they recognize that it's Jesus and John says, it's the Lord. What does Peter do? He runs to him. He throws himself into the water to get to Jesus as quick as he can. See, in in the first instance, Peter's identity and everything that he was saying and doing, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and they're never going to kill you, Jesus, and I'm not going to let that happen. Peter was the center of all those things. Even when he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be near you because I'm sinful. His identity was bound up in who he was and what he did. But in this moment, when he sits with Jesus and he turns and looks at him and he says, do you love me, Peter? Peter knows that his identity is now Jesus and nothing else. There's no pride of I'm the guy that's going to do this. See, when you see your sin... When you know it, when there's no looking away, there's no deflecting, there's no excusing it, there's no trying to sidestep it, and you know it, that's when the gospel shines brightest. It's where Jesus meets you in the middle. And he says, I've done for you what you could never do for yourself. Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. And then he says, okay, so feed my sheep. He's preparing Peter for what's coming. Peter's well more equipped at this moment than any other before in his life to go feed the sheep. Because he now recognizes it's not my righteousness, but Jesus's. It's not what I do, but what Jesus has done for me. He can tell him, you're going to go feed my sheep now because there's a humility in Peter. The old Peter's dying Right, that's what Jesus says. Follow me and you die to yourself. 
You transfer your trust from yourself to me. It's no longer about you. It's Jesus in you. I must increase that he increases. And that's exactly what's happening with Peter here. And so I just want to ask that question again. You think about those things in your life where you knew you blew it. It's no question. There's no sidestepping it. How do you deal with that? You look to the Jesus that meets you on the shore with breakfast ready. He says, come sit down with me. We're going to look at this together. And then you're going to see as I show you that I've taken care of it for you. We're not going to look away from your sin. We're going to confess it and we're going to repent. And then we're going to put our trust in what Jesus has done for us. And that's exactly what he does with Peter here. So how do we live out of that? Last thing he says here, right? He's told him to go feed my sheep. But then right after that, look at what he says in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Then he said this to show what kind of death he was to the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he tells Peter, hey, uh, you're going to die. That's what he's telling him. That's what John says. If you know anything about Peter, he ends up being crucified. He has to be crucified upside down because he doesn't want to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. He didn't feel worthy. But Peter dies by crucifixion. And Jesus tells him here, the day's coming where they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And you're going to be put to death. Right? Feed my sheep, Peter. And by the way, you're going to die for it. But then he follows with what? Follow me. Your identity is now found in me. You trust me with everything. I love that even though you see this change in Peter and there's this humility and there's this repentance, he's still Peter. He turns and goes, well, what about John? (laughs) Right? If you read the end of the chapter, that's what he says. Hey, what about that guy? And he says, well, if I want him to live until I return, then he'll live until I return. Which I love that John says, just by the way, addendum to the sermon. John goes, Jesus never said I was going to not die. He just said if that he wanted me to do that, that's what would happen. Which I always think is, uh, sorry, total side note, but I always think it's funny because I think people probably were always saying to John, like, are you really not going to die? Did Jesus say that? And he's going, no, that's not what he said. He said, if I decide that that's the, right? But with Peter, he's going, well, what about him? And what does he say? He says, well, if he, I want him to stay until I return, that's none of your business. You follow me. And that's for all of us and everything. How often we get caught up in what other people are doing or the way that we deal with our sin is we compare it to others. It's not, it's not like what they did. But Jesus says, no, 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 you follow me. You find your identity in me and you follow me in all things. And that's all we can do is put our trust and our faith in him for everything. And the good news is he meets you there. Wherever you've been, wherever you've been caught in that, wherever you see those things, Jesus is there 
calling you to repentance, to call you into his marvelous light that we can find forgiveness in who he is and what he's done for us. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that even in our lowest moments that you come and you wait there for us, that you pursue us, that through the spirit that now dwells in us, you bring conviction of sin, not to heap shame and guilt, but to bring repentance, to remind us that our identity will only ever fully be found in you. We thank you that you love us in those ways. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.